can you help us by allowing us to borrow that flashlight that you mm. used and just help us parse through um where the conflict lies at this particular juncture i mean we the topography is is a bit confusing for a lot of people in terms of who controls what territory for how long and how sustainable that is um who are the actors on the ground and and who's you know who's fighting in in uh, against who i mean we understand mm -hmm. the, the big picture but but in terms of who's fighting on whose side and and to what extent are those uh sort of um alliances of of common interests that are just immediate versus long term and what the visions for the country moving forward might be i mean is this is this a conflict how that... long is the show <laughs> yeah i know how long... <laughs> you're right like what, what i mean is this a conflict that will continue until i mean is this a zero sum game um how invested are are yemenis in the conflict itself as far as polarization goes or are they just sort of ploys in in a larger geostrategic struggle what? Um, I, I think in essence, uh, this is a local struggle uh, and it started off as a local struggle. Uh, the problem is that now with the Saudis being involved uh, quite directly with, uh, with, uh, with its coalition on the ground, uh, it has added an international element to it. Uh, but in essence, what? what has been happening since and i i mean you could i mean uh, with yemen you can you can start uh, you know 5 years ago you can start 500 years ago i mean <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a country with uh, with a very complex history um but if we're, if we're, if we're going to take it in a more manageable way which is to me uh, what is happening now is a direct reflection to the failure in 2011, 2012 of the different political parties on the ground in Yemen. So the Muslim Brotherhood in Yemen, uh, uh, namely Islah, uh, Hadi, uh, who was uh, voted uh, in as, as actually the only one who was running in the elections after uh, after Ali Saleh uh, um, had to step down uh, and uh, and the other political parties that were still represented yeah by the old school uh, um, government all of those with the youth failed to produce anything tangible uh, and beneficial for Yemen um all the same uh, politics, all the same uh, uh, corruption issues, all of that was represented with Hadi, who was the vice president of the ex-president Ali Saleh. So they didn't actually bring any, uh, any new blood into it. So obviously there were a lot of uh, institutional structural problems in Yemen uh, that very few people had, uh, that used to be in the government had any interest in, uh, in reforming. Added to that, that the Saudis wanted... Um, the the they they had vested interest in what a post revolutionary Yemen would look like, um, and the UN as well. And unfortunately, I consider what's happening now uh, and the civil war that's happening on the ground a direct result of a lot of those issues that were ignored. That there was a window of opportunity, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, that could have been dealt dealt with primarily two issues: the South. And um, and the secessionist movement in the south and the north, namely Saada and the Houthis, 
and uh, the impact of the six wars that Ali Saleh had waged on the uh, on Saada uh, b- before the revolution. I mean, the 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 war on Saada didn't end until like. 2009, 2010. Uh, and so we are not talking about something that happened uh, a long time ago. We're talking about direct impact on those two regions. Hadi had deliberately uh, uh, sabotaged any real reform or uh, uh, structural reform that would have improved the situation both in Saada and in the South. And they kept uh, um, they kept using them as pawns to advance his own uh, his own corrupt system. Frankly, in my opinion, um, so all of that put together has brought the Houthis to control uh, Sana'a and also uh, try to control the rest of the country, seeing it as in we are uh, more honest than the government is and we will improve this country within uh, under that uh, that uh, uh, alleged reform that this is uh, they've waged war on the rest of the country which is quite astounding yes it is and 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 shockingly the uh, a significant amount of success in terms of ability to to acquire and control territory, right? I mean, because I mean, the, the alliance that they had—I I know this is going to confuse the hell out of people—but that they, they did forge an alliance with ex-president Ali Saleh, um, and through that alliance, because Ali Saleh is well known to have excellent abilities to forge relationships with the different tribes in Yemen, this is why he's been able to survive for three decades, and so that alliance between the Houthis and and Ali Saleh. Uh, enabled them to spread quite quickly. Um, so for, for a lot of Yemenis, the, the basic pr- uh, problem is not who's going to uh, lead the government, but are they going to provide basic services to them or not? So one of the questions, like, for example, why Al-Qaeda, uh, AQAP, and the Arabian Peninsula was able to control and uh, keep control of large parts of South Yemen, for example, in 2012, is because they brought in, you know, law and order. Simple. Yeah. So if you get robbed, uh, the Al-Qaeda have their own courts. Uh, they're not corrupt. Uh, they, they will immediately uh, uh, give judgment on an issue. And uh, that's it. And so all of a sudden, life became functional. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you wouldn't dare rob uh, a shop in, uh, in Ja'ar, for example, which, uh, which was one of the, uh, the, the cities that they controlled. So we, we have to see the different political parties and and even militias on the ground in Yemen within the prism of are they making people's lives easier or better than the government? Uh, and frankly, that's not very hard because the government has been quite dysfunctional for a very, very long time. So, for example, Al-Qaeda had given me footage of them uh, um, uh, getting electricity to one of the villages that hadn't had electricity in 20 years. Can you imagine? And so you have this shot of like, they had wired. They had brought in an Iraqi uh, uh, engineer from AQAP, and uh, he, they they had wired everything in. And then they have the shot of the guy flipping on the switch, and uh, and the light bulb goes on. And they're all like, "Allahu Akbar!" And like, like since like real happiness that they have electricity. Like this is really basic stuff, right? And and so you you have to understand 
why different militias uh, are able to succeed and and uh, and flourish in different areas uh, with with this basic premise. They had such a dysfunctional government beforehand. This is why they had a revolution in 2011. So any any group of people that are going to claim to bring in uh, a better functional uh, government that uh, that will serve their lives, that they're going to go with. They're going to give it a chance. So for a lot of different areas in, in North Yemen, when the Houthis came in and said, we are going to give you better services, less corruption, or we're going to fight corruption, actually, um, uh, people were willing to give them a chance because they're all tired. It's a very poor country. And with Al-Qaeda, same thing in the South. So, I mean, like in Mukalla, w- which is now effectively completely controlled by Al-Qaeda, for a lot of people, they're saying life goes on. It's quite normal. Yeah, Al-Qaeda is, uh, uh, is not actually... Uh, something that uh, they do in, in Hadramaut. So Al-Qaeda being there running the, the show doesn't really make a major difference in people's lives. And so, uh, you know, why should we fight them? And so all of this really complex fabric of Yemen has to be understood within the local context, the external context of America and the drones and uh, and Saudi Arabia and that war is just an added layer of complexity on a very local issue. Um, but with the Saudis, they, they've been paying money to different tribes in Yemen for decades as well. Yeah. So uh, for them to be claiming that, uh, it, you know, the war on Yemen has to happen because Iran is directly influencing uh, or, or supporting the Houthis, I, I think is quite ironic because they've been doing the exact same thing for decades. Um, and so to me, if you compare Iranian influence uh, in Yemen versus Saudi influence in Yemen, um, I would say Saudi Arabia wins hands down. Wins meaning that they have a much more substantial Absolutely. influence yeah. and role to play in, in domestic politics. and, and Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're directly involved in, in military action mm-hmm. as opposed to Iran. I mean, there are reports of uh, the Iranians and Hezbollah um, training and helping the Houthis, but I would like to see some serious journalism done on that. Um, I don't, I, I can't say it's not true. It wasn't true uh, in the wars, in the in, in the nine war, uh, in the six wars. Sorry, um, with Ali Saleh and his government, uh, but that doesn't mean that within the past year, two years, the dynamic hasn't changed. Uh, but uh, as you know, both the both the Houthis, Hezbollah, and the Iranians are very secretive about these things. Um, but it is worth investigating. But still, I think as influence goes, uh, the Saudis historically had much larger uh, impact on uh, on Yemen than the Iranians ever had. I mean, who have heard? Uh, who has heard of uh, of Iranian influence in Yemen before this war? Yes, absolutely. And then in this case, we also have um, Saudi-led airstrikes, which is. Uh of course, a, a much more substantial escalation of, of mm. involvement of Saudi. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and nobody would have imagined. Like I could, I in, until it actually happened, I would not have thought that, that this is something Saudi Arabia would do so so overtly. Um, no Yemenis thought of it either. It's it's quite a shocking thing, and I think it reflects more of the cha- massive change in uh, Saudi foreign policy after the new king took office. So. So in terms of the time, now again, there, there are so many aspects of your film that I would love to talk about, but, but I also want to 
give uh, our audience an opportunity to to watch it. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about where things stand at this particular juncture in time, in terms of people's perception of of the conflict? It has, of course, it has its its adherents, its supporters, those who are who are on the front lines. But but in terms of the overarching success of of the coalition campaign on one side or the Houthis on the other. Is this sort of building up towards a stalemate or is there a decisive victory for any one side? And to what extent are the presence of these radical um, militant groups and Im- implicating for for one side or the other? I mean, the realities on the ground are quite fluid and both sides are constantly claim victory. So unless you're on the ground, it, it's really hard to tell day to day who's winning or losing. But frankly, the the coalition have been claiming that they will break the siege on Taz any moment now. And that was like four months ago. And uh, they've been saying that they're on the doorsteps of Sana'a four months ago, if not more. And and, and so ev- the concept of an easy win in Yemen is never going to happen. Yemen is very, very difficult terrain. Uh, the Houthis couldn't win uh, clearly, uh, and they were kicked out of Aden and uh, pushed up north. Uh, the Saudis clearly can't push further up north because of the, the different alliances. Money is only one of the considerations of who is going to fight who and for how long. Because, I mean, it, they're quite notorious for taking money and then just fighting with the other side. Uh, so <laughs> alliances are quite fragile on the ground. What is evident, regardless of who is moving forward in the front lines, is uh, if the alleged reason for this war as uh, to stabilize Yemen and to bring peace to Yemen, um, then that hasn't happened. It's been decimated. Uh, I mean, the human toll of this war on Yemen is massive, massive. I mean, with in Taz alone, uh, it's the largest, um, you know, IDP movement in all of Yemen. Half of the population was uh, was uh, made internally displaced, like 400,000 out of 800,000. That's massive, massive displacement. And it, this is hardly being covered. And, and can you imagine in other places? I mean, it, Yemen is not well connected by roads. And so uh, we hear more about the larger cities. So we hear more about Sana'a and Taz and Aden. Uh, but you rarely hear about what's happening in other areas. And so what what is definite is that there's no longer a cohesive um, state called Yemen. Um, there is north and there is south. And uh, I don't know how much of the north is um, is uh, is going to stick together or how much of the south is going to stick together. I mean, Hadramot now with Al-Qaeda controlling Mukalla and larger areas. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, Hadi is uh, allegedly representing uh, the, the Yemeni government, but what does that even mean? I mean, when I was in the hospital, in Sauda Hospital, like you saw in the film, everybody was saying, you know, they're, they're not even getting money from the Ministry of Health. Like, all their budgets are being cut. So they're crying over the, the siege of Taz and how, oh, the poor people of Taz are dying. Yet you're not even sending them money. You're cutting their salaries. I mean, they're basically working as volunteers in a war zone. Um, so there is a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to what's going on and what are they fighting with? I mean, it, it, it's, it's actually quite ridiculous. I mean, when you hear the doctor saying, uh, we, we, we haven't been paid for months, uh, I don't know how they're living. And after I, uh, I had filmed um, with them in Saura Hospital, I, uh, 
I heard on Christmas Day that they had to shut down because they ran out of money. The only trauma hospital in Taz had to shut down because they didn't have any money. And, and the, one of the doctors had to go around, beg the different NGOs to give them money because, you know, if they're not open, then nobody's open and there's no oxygen and no medicine. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those really ridiculous conversations to have about uh, you, you're, you're claiming to, uh, to fight to break a siege. Uh, on a city, yet you're doing absolutely nothing in reality on the ground to save the people and the civilians. Um, and so uh, a lot of people are very critical about that in, in Taz itself.